no one is, 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 is more locked in. From Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkins and Andrew Filippone. Well, well, well. Hello there. It is First and Pod. I'm Danny Parkins. He is Andrew Filippone. To all of you watching on the Scores YouTube page, as soon as the clock hit zero on a 34-31 instant classic Lions-Niners-NFC Championship game, we appreciate you. Subscribe, rate, review to the First and Pod podcast. Give us a five-star review. We appreciate you. The Super Bowl matchup is set. We could probably go four hours straight, Pony. Chiefs and Niners will start NFC Championship game. We will get into the specifics of Dan Campbell. But I just want to say, the NFL, pretty popular, pretty good. That delivered. That was seven and a half hours of great entertainment today. I love this sport, man. This is so great. What a great day. Yeah, I thought it was the best championship weekend since 18 when the Rams won on that pass interference thing that they missed. Yep. And the Patriots and Chiefs played that classic overtime game. It was phenomenal. Uh, as someone who had the Lions to win the Super Bowl, who had made a lot of Lions bets, you had a Chiefs-Lions Super Bowl matchup that would have paid 39-1. to 1. Yep, uh, and, that, an, and, a, and an NFC Championship ticket. That does put a damper on things yep. when you're on the Lions side here. And I was a Lions backer, and I would, even though we're on the scores page, and there's a lot of Chicago fans out there. I mean, come on. If you're not rooting for the Lions, there's something wrong with you. They were such a likable, lovable team. And I just tweeted this out before we started. I've never seen the opinion on a coach change more in a half. Pete Carroll had the opinion on him change with one play. So that's the all-time record in the Super Bowl. This was a half. Halfway through the game, Dan Campbell was going to get a key to the city in Detroit. They were going to build a statue of him. He's going to go he was going to go down in NFL history as the author and architect of this incredible turnaround. And some of those things will still be true, but they are going to be second guessing his decision making in the second half of the game in Detroit for decades. It becomes now it becomes now the most debated and talked about thing in Detroit sports history, more than yeah, anything else in their history, more than Red Wings games, more than Tigers World Series, more than Detroit Pistons, Bill Lambeer, Isaiah Thomas moments. This now, what we just watched, is going to be the thing that Detroit sports fans talk about with their brothers and grandkids and spouses-to-be and all those things forever, Danny. So my suspicion is that there's actually going to be a local national split. They obviously will debate it, but I think that he's going to get crushed nationally more than he gets crushed locally because the players are going to come out and support him. He's going to come out and say, this is the dance with the girl who brung you. This is how we did it all year. This was their mindset. This was their mantra. This was their philosophy. And it backfired. But I got to say, I was surprised that the analytics, the fourth down bots, supported both calls. I would have kicked to go from up 14 to up 17. 
but a 45-yard field goal is not automatic. I would have thought that that was a kick spot with the analytics. The analytics actually say that that's a go-for-it spot. And same late. Now, obviously, when you lose by three and you pass up two field goals and you go 0 for 2 on those fourth downs, People are going to play the results and plenty of people first guessed him and he is going to get a ton of criticism. But if you do it one way all year, Kevin Clark had the best tweet about this. If you do it one way all year and then you change, that's how you become Brandon Staley. Oh that's my God. You- I, but I, that, 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 that's such a, that's a, that's such a like kind of a caricature of the situation to compare it to him. Um, to me, but I, I what I'm saying is, is that Brandon Staley heard the criticism and then stopped being who he was. Okay. But I don't think that the two kicking situations are the same whatsoever. Uh, I understand why the analytics would tell you in the third quarter when it's a 14 point lead to get two yards. I get that. It is one of the things that got left out of the conversation. I like Burkhart and I like, uh, Olsen a lot. I like yeah, both of those guys. They're, they're, they're very good by NFL broadcast. Can I get at some point in this game by one of them? Now, I think CBS takes it too far. I don't need Jay Feely on every AFC championship game. I don't need some kicking expert on the sideline. I think that's overkill. But can one of these guys point out that the Lions have a kicking problem? Badgley has been on their team for like four games. They've rotated kickers this year. Correct. It's not just that Campbell is this gung-ho, go for it all the time. They don't have a guy that they believe in. And that never came up. That's a bad, that's an oversight on them. That had to be part of the conversation and it wasn't. 100%. I was in group text with people saying, is their kicker injured? Do no, Badgley bad... is just not no, good. I know. I know. And then know. the other, and then, and the reason why I say they're, they're not the same, the second one is you're down three. Late in the fourth quarter, that that situation and what the analytics call for it there, to me, should be different than what it says with 20 minutes of game time left. You've got to try to tie the game and extend the game and keep the game going. So that one I thought they needed to, they needed to kick on, even with the shaky kicker, to try to tie the game. And the other thing I'll say about Campbell and, oh, the player, like, you know, maybe locally they won't get on him as hard as they will nationally. Another problem for me with what happened on that first uh, fourth down miscue and the Reynolds drop is I felt like the team from that moment on wilted. They were a rattled football team, and that goes back to Campbell. Campbell is supposed to be the guy that after Reynolds drops the ball, he says, who gives an F? Who gives a bleep? We're still up two scores. Let's go win this thing. And I thought that team succumbed to the pressure of the moment. And I did not expect that. No, no, no. That, that was actually going to be my, like, my biggest point from the game. After the Reynolds drop, I mean, dude, Vildor off the face mask. Purdy Houdini act escaping sacks when he's in the grasp and then hitting the dude on the sideline for the toe tap. Another Reynolds drop. Like momentum is incorrectly used. I think it's confidence. Reynolds drops the ball. They miss the fourth down. And Niners confidence spikes. And you would have expected Lions confidence to say, F it. Who cares? We're going to be fine. Goff started playing tight. Reynolds drops another one. 
And it just felt like, I mean, dude, the Niners had 27 unanswered points. It was reasonable to think that you needed touchdowns against that team. And the Lions just, they no-showed. They no-showed the second half. That was one of the worst quarter and a halfs of football that they played all year. And they did it in the NFC Championship game on the road. I don't understand how they don't run the ball in one of those situations, especially the fourth and two, given their offensive line, given the way that Gibbs had played to that point in the game, that was before the the fumble later on. Yeah, if you're going for it, don't don't give it to a statue of a quarterback who can't move. Yeah, yeah like I, that's I, I I was perplexed by that part of the decision. Um, I I real bless you, bless We're you live. again. Thank I you. really did not understand. What are they doing running the ball down 10 at the goal line? That was that was honestly, that was the worst decision of the three. Because if what happens happened, you need to burn a timeout. And then having two timeouts means nothing. The only thing that gives you a chance is three timeouts. So you have to pass the ball in that spot. That was insane. That was, that, that, that was to me actually the most indefensible of all of the coaching decisions. Now, they were probably going to lose at that spot anyway, but that is a you cannot do it. So I don't know if Ben Johnson has full autonomy there or if Campbell green lights a run call, but that can't happen. That That is just a 0%. You cannot defend it. And I do think that they need to make up their minds in the NFL and say, okay, do we like – do we like that whenever a team is in a two-possession game late like that, it's effectively over because onside kicks are impossible to recover? Or at some point, do we see them find either a way from a formation standpoint that makes it a little bit easier? Or do they go to one of the experimental rules that they've used in the USFL or the XFL or whatever because of what you just said there? If, if there's something on the back end of that, that you actually feel like you can convert running the ball and using a timeout is not the, is not the end of the world, but we know that there's the onside kick is just an obsolete play. They've, 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 they've eradicated it and eliminated it from the NFL. Something that existed say like 15 years ago or 20 years ago, that was part of there were four successful onside kicks all season. Right. So I guess they don't want teams to have miraculous comebacks at the end of games then. They, mu- they they must feel like it was too fluky. I don't know. It just, it sucks that they score and you know it doesn't matter because there's like a 1% chance they recover the onside kick. It's anticlimactic at that point. Yeah, no, I, I we talked about it one of the other times this came up on a Sunday night game right when we were doing the post-game podcast. I like the, the XFL for like, Fourth and fifteen. If you convert a fifteen-yard play, you can keep the ball. If you if if the math says that that's too high and you want to make it twenty, fine. But figure out what a ten percent conversion would be, and let them run a play, like a like a league average ten percent conversion, and and go and put and put that as the number. I get that the talking points are going to be about the Lions and Campbell and the decisions, and they should be, and that's where we started, and I understand it, and it's great for sports talk and sports television. What do you think the narrative on Purdy is going to be? Oh, God. Because the he – he couple things. 
He did get better as the game went on. He did. He was better in the second half than he was in the first half. And I hammered the Lions minus one and a half live, thinking there's no way he's executing this comeback against an opportunistic defense that was fourth in the NFL in negative plays. Like, I knew that they would score. I knew it would be high scoring, but I thought he was going to give some away. And he did. He had the one. But, like, overall, he started making a few throws. The one to Kittle down the left uh, sideline was a nice play. And then the scrambling, man. It was him and Lamar today as the running quarterbacks. It was and more he, about the scrambling. He did make that 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 even that use check play was one where he used his legs to find him on the sideline there. Yep. When he got two feet in, he was like a right-handed Steve Young for them in the from like the midpoint of the third quarter on. Uh, I did not see that coming. I was burying the guy. I thought he looked way in over his head. Yep. I thought you know people are making jokes on Twitter about Sam Darnold. I mean, it just looked like the guy. Um, like the like the like the chariot had turned into a pumpkin with him. I, I just I I'm still I'm I'm doing a horrible job at this because I have to now give him credit for the plays he made at the end of the game with his but legs. I, but I still don't think he played a great game, and I still think that there are questions about him moving forward. I mean, if they end well, up losing, if, if Vildor catches that ball, I know. Like the guy's got an absolute horseshoe. He yes. really does. Yeah, He's off, one of the like, luckiest players of all time. Mask, and his guy catches it. So that's 50 yards added to his like box score stat line that people will just look at, even though pro football focus will grade that correctly as an interceptable ball. And they come away with a touchdown. It's insane. It's Spencer, can, can one of you guys pull up his passing stats for the game? Can I get yeah, his what, actual what, numbers? 20 of 31, 267, one touchdown, one pick. That's his first postseason interception. What grade would you give him for the game then? Well, I mean, listen, we give Josh Allen and Lamar and those guys credit for what they do with their feet. And he had five scrambles for 48 yards. Okay. So that's over 300 yards of offense, even though I think about 50 of it was completely fluky. All right. So what's the grade? I'd give him a B. I was going to say B minus. Like, Man, he executed a double-digit comeback in an NFC Championship game and got better as the game went on. Like that's, I gotta, I gotta give him credit. I, I don't think that he's great, but he played better today than I expected him to play, and he recovered nicely from looking completely shook earlier in the game. But he, again, he could have had three picks. The Vildor one. Did he play better than Goff? Say again. Did he play better than Goff? Yeah. Yep. I think I I mean golf got tight. Got golf got worse as the game went on. And and the book on Purdy his entire career is that his stats in fourth quarter late and close are not very good. His passer rating is one of the worst in the NFL right. in those situations. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the antithesis of that in the playoffs with the games against Green Bay and now Detroit. He's played lousy for the first 30 or so minutes of the games and he's made some clutch key plays in the fourth quarter so yeah I give him credit too I do McCaffrey's an absolute stud that guy played his ass off um and that's the first didn't the, isn't that the first double digit comeback 
win of the Kyle Shanahan era. I believe that's the I, I believe I saw that stat. His yeah. teams were like winless in situations where they fell behind by two touchdowns. Yeah. Well, let's get to the other game. It's the more interesting one. Is it? So this was the so Lions Niners was the better game. It was. I got a lot of crap for saying there were two epic games today. Did you not find the tension of Chiefs Ravens to be excellent start to finish? Like there were there were a lot of punts. There was good defense. I understand all of that. But that game that game was very tense. That's the best way I can describe it. That to me, that was like edge of your seat football drama, even though it wasn't a shootout. Well, I think both games, depending on your perspective, like became hard watches. I mean, if if you were rooting for the Lions like I was, and you wanted to see them win, it was excruciating to watch them make mistake after mistake and bungle the game that they did. It's not easy to watch a team choke before you, in front of you. It's not. If that's the team you're rooting for or want to see win, it's just... A horrific process, like especially when you know it's going to happen. And, you know, from the Reynolds drop on, I just had a feeling in my stomach that the Lions are going to find a way to lose that game. And then the Chiefs and Ravens game, like, I don't know, for me, from where I stand, like, I get some kind of perverse enjoyment over watching Lamar Jackson not deliver in these big games. So I was fine with that. With the but way I thought that, that you said, weren't you saying on Twitter that the Chiefs were unlikable and you were rooting they for are. the Ravens? They are very unlikable. I think both teams, I, that's like the asteroid was not an option in this game. I had to pick a team to win. So I was feeling the Ravens more than I was the Chiefs when I got out of bed this morning. Uh, I don't want a dynastic team. I don't want somebody lording over the NFL. I just went through that with for 20 years, the Patriots. You know, it just it sucks when you're when you're a team in that conference and you know that there's an invincible team that you're not going to be able to beat. And that's my reality right now. And it will be for the next 10 to 15 years, bare minimum. And that blows ass. That's not a comforting feeling either, man. Listen, I I, I understand that. If and... Baltimore wins, I can go to sleep tonight and say the Steelers swept that team this season. They always play them close. And they're and they're Lamar Jackson's kryptonite. That's a pretty darn good feeling to go to work with on Monday. I don't get that now. So I've got to have, like, I've got to be a hater and get my get my rocks off on Lamar Jackson's inability to deliver in games like this. That's the next best thing for me. I love watching greatness. I'm not sick and tired of it yet. Of course, I come with my biases. I covered that team. I lived in that city for six years. My yes. Mom, my mom's family from there. Yeah. My yeah wife's of course. Fan. All those things are true. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just, but I'm just, but also, man, that was the tied for the biggest underdog that Mahomes has been in his career. Mm-hmm. I'm texting you and Nick last night. Is Travis Kelsey going to be a zero? in this game because he was good against the bills and backup linebackers and good against the dolphins after a week off in week 18, when they had four or five starters out on defense, Hamilton, all pro safety hasn't allowed a touchdown to a tight end all season. 
Kelsey has the amazing back shoulder throw from Mahomes for the first touchdown after he had the incredible fourth down conversion leaping catch on the great connection with him and Mahomes. So against Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith and Kyle Hamilton, Travis Kelsey in the first half goes nine catches on nine targets for 96 yards and a touchdown breaks. He needed seven catches to break Jerry Rice's all-time postseason catches record for the game. He does it in the first half with time to spare Mahomes, basically perfect 20 of 25 for 161 and a touchdown in the first half. They controlled the game. Like they, they went into their hostile environment, one seed MVP, Cold weather, biggest underdog, all the doubters, all the national pundits, all the talking heads. There's like one guy on all of the shows, you know, pick it, picking the, the Chiefs. It's like four out of five picking the Ravens. The most doubted they've been in this run. And they just come out and play a perfect half of football. Got a little conservative. Lamar had the great 30-yard touchdown pass. Took their foot off the gas. Defenses started. It turned into a little bit of a slugfest in the second half. I understand that. But for just like the statement that they came out with to totally put their foot on their throat and have that game in control basically start to finish. I know there were two turnovers in the end zone for the Ravens in the second half, and they still could have won the game despite everything that I'm saying. But that was just a tour de force performance to start the game by two future first ballot Hall of Famers and GOATs, man. I... I thought it was incredible how they came out and took control of that game. Travis Kelsey, I thought, was the MVP of the game because of the production he had given who he was facing. Hamilton, Queen, Smith, those guys in the middle of the field. For him to be that dominant, uh, for him to be able to do that in his mid-30s, after I thought he showed in the second half of the season serious signs of deterioration and wear and tear, this guy, the week off that in week 18 must have completely did wonders for this guy because he's come, in the, come back in the playoffs and looked like Travis Kelsey from two or three years ago. He was an absolute stud today. That's why he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and that's why he's going to go down as one of the two or three best tight ends of all time. That performance was a throwback game, was a throwback game by him. Andy Reid, another example of him and what he's able to do to start games, scripting plays. Uh, that drive, that's now five straight playoff games where they've opened with a touchdown. His genius was on full display. Where was this from the Chiefs in the regular season? It's incredible. They have absolutely flipped the switch. It looks like they just paced themselves and lollygagged their way through the regular season offensively. Their defense did all the heavy lifting. And now Mahomes and Kelsey are like, let's do it. We can We can start playing football now is what they've done. And uh, that, that, I was that, that nine minute touchdown drive in the first half for yeah, their they winked me. They fooled me. I was complete. I've picked against them in every single game. Um, and I feel like a complete idiot for it because I've gone against him and this coach and that tight end in all these games. And it just, uh, cause it just, to me was more about, I was basing my picks on what they had done week to week this year and not their total body of work. And that was a mistake. Honestly, and it should have been another touchdown in the first half. It was a, it was a terrible holding call. The second one on Trey Smith, it took the the screen pass touchdown off the board. For as good as Olsen and Burkhardt are, Romo is terrible. Well, those are makeup calls. Okay, 
That at least one of those was a makeup call because the whole drive got started because of that Van Noy penalty, which was a ridiculous call. You've got two guys jawing at each other. Kelsey's right in his face. Just either let it go or call both guys for it and be done with it in that spot. I thought that was really bad. And what ended up happening was the Ravens, from what they did pregame, Mallette going after these guys, there was was, um, obviously bad blood and there was uh, temperatures and fumes and everything else. Yeah, Tucker. Yeah, the the Chiefs handled that way better than Baltimore did. Baltimore looked like they were back in the 2000s and you had Bart Scott and Terrell Suggs out there just trying to knock people's block off with 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 absolutely no um, sense for how the game is legislated and called now, especially against the Chiefs. So many dumb plays. Clowney had a roughness call. Jones had a roughness had a roughness call. There were a bunch of them. Just Flowers, stupid. Flowers, yeah. Oh, Fla- Flowers is an absolute idiot. I mean, that whole sequence from him was just pathetic all the way around, dude. It was, and then he hurts himself on the bench. I know, dude. It was, like, it was like a Gus Farrat moment. It was it was complete insanity. Now, hey, be careful. I'm friends with Gus, and there's a greater than zero percent chance that he's watching this either live or he will on podcast. Be careful. What's he What's he gonna do? Helmet. I just don't me? think. I just don't think Gus. I think I, Gus is actually a really smart guy, and I do think it's. I think he struggles with the fact that he. That's what people always think about with him. I mean, I'm sorry. Dan Orlovsky's known for running out the back of the end zone, and he yeah. makes I'll say this about – and one more quick note on Farratt, though, because it ties into Purdy. Think about seventh-round quarterbacks. I think there's only been like three or four guys that have started more than 40 or 50 games in the NFL, and it's Purdy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Gus Farratt. It is really effing hard to come from the last round of the draft to become a starting quarterback, so – That'll yes. be the nice thing I say about Brock Purdy on this podcast tonight. But anyways, I, I yeah, well, good again, good good scrambles. What did you? What do you think of like? So I said it on Twitter, and people were just saying that I'm not fit to be a parent. They were just coming at me very taunting. Should not be a penalty in professional sports. Now, what Zay Flowers did because it is a rule is obviously taunting. Obviously, he should have been flagged. Thank you for that very obvious point and counterpoint. But unsportsmanlike conduct should be a penalty for spitting in someone's face. If you want to say throwing a ball at somebody, something like that. Okay, fine. Uh, Unnecessary roughness should be a penalty for fighting because people are like, oh, if you take out taunting, there's just going to be a bunch of fights after every play. No. You can't fight because that would be unnecessary roughness. Like when Roquan Smith knocked over uh, Trey Smith to make it, you know, first and 10 on that savvy play later, he got unnecessary roughness because that's a penalty. Okay. But taunting is trash talk. That's what taunting is. These are pros. This isn't little league. This isn't AYSO soccer. This isn't the why this isn't like sportsmanship. And like you have to teach your kids and athletes are role models. Stop. It, I, AFC championship game guy com, guy catches a whatever that was a 40 yard pass and he can't talk a little junk and by the way ball don't lie Sneed gets taunted and then Sneed's the one who punches the ball out 
on Flowers when he's diving for the end zone. Like Snead is fine. Yeah, he's fine. He doesn't need he doesn't need you to throw a flag to protect his delicate sensibilities. It's so stupid that we've got 50 and 60 year old men legislating language of 24 year old athletes. It's idiotic. I've got a few thoughts on it. I feel like the my biggest issue with it is I feel like it's really the, the referees for the most part let that stuff go. And they arbitrarily decide when it goes beyond the pale and they need to like censor the behavior of, uh, of an NFL player with like how they look at a guy or stare down a guy or stand over a guy and or like spin a ball. They're like, they're like, he spun the ball in his direction. It, oh, well, somebody please think of the children. It's so inconsistent. I got killed on Twitter, but I really believe this. If Travis Kelsey did that to Kyle Hamilton, I don't think they throw the flag at all. I think I, I think some guys get afforded that right, especially veterans and star players. Flowers is a rookie. They know that. I think that's why they felt comfortable doing it to him. If Jackson has a scramble and then does that to the guy that tackles him, I don't think they throw the flag there either. So that's that's one of my big gripes with it. It, it, it is a stupid rule to have. The, the refs have enough things on their mind, okay? They yes, shouldn't have exactly. to worry about that part of it either. I do want to say about the Ravens though, they are fake tough guy. The whole game was them being fake tough guys. And that was another example of it. They thought they could talk their bleep because they've beaten so many good teams this year and they've beaten most of them convincingly. So they thought they could walk into the ring with the chiefs and do that. But that's tough to do when the team starts the game and punches you right in the mouth with a touchdown. And you could tell that Kelsey was talking a ton. Especially to Van Noy. He was really taking great pains to go after that guy. I'd love to get some NFL films. How about inside the NFL? Give me some of the uh, audio from that back and forth between those two guys. I'm shocked, though, we've gone a half hour and we haven't talked about Lamar yet. Because I'm going to be so pissed off tomorrow when I watch these shows. And I tweeted this, too. You think he's going to get treated like Dak Prescott tomorrow? I don't, but he should. He absolutely should. Yeah, that interception was terrible. He played a terrible game. Why can't people say that? And Shannon Sharp went on Twitter and and had it brilliantly. If you do this to Lamar Jackson, especially from his position, you get called a hater or some other things. And there's just this whole kid gloves thing with Lamar because of what idiots like Bill Polian said when he got drafted. So right from the beginning, it was uh, it, the, the conversation was contaminated with toxic waste right from the very beginning, and it's polluted every conversation we've had about the guy since. If Aaron Rodgers did that in the AFC Championship game, people would be smoking cigars on TV the next day in line to make fun of him. It's true. You're right. So why can't we be consistent about it? That's we, all I'm asking for. Well, we listen, we've talked about it for years. The, the reason oh. why it is because of what we said. It went too far. Like it the criticism early was a bunch of like dog whistle stuff that was completely unfair. So he became a sympathetic figure, I would say deservedly. And then he won MVP his second year in the league. So all of a sudden He's one of the most exciting players we've ever seen. How many times have I said, you know, Lamar's best might be best. Like when he's actually playing at his best, he might be the toughest individual player to game plan for 
in the entire league. And then he's going to win a second unanimous MVP in 10 days. They're the one seed. There was plenty of other reasons that they lost. So I agree with you. That's going to happen. But he was bad. He had the 30-yard touchdown pass, which was a play that he created. That was a, that was an amazing play. That was an A-plus-plus-plus play. And he had the play where he caught his own ball. And he was that was the, the second best throw he made the entire game, other than the other one you just mentioned. It, it, dude, he was the second leading receiver for the Ravens in the first half. So, like, the, they, that, that game plan, by the way, was terrible. Hill was not involved nearly enough. That guy's got some serious juice. And they seemed like they abandoned the running game from both Lamar and Hill and like got to try to well, keep they, going. The, you, that, that, so I saw a lot of reaction on Twitter about how Monken deserves to get pilloried because guys like Gus Edwards got three carries in the game. And, I, and, and there's obviously some merit and truth to that. Like the running back should have been more involved. We saw the way that the Bills ran it in the first half on the Chiefs. Yes. Why wouldn't the best running team in the NFL want to take advantage of that? But to me, that's that that ignores the much bigger point. You saw this all year in Chicago. They just did not want Lamar Jackson to be used as a running quarterback in this game. There were like zero designed runs for him other than that fourth down play that they got, which by the way, early in the game, great call to go for it. And then sees the hole, not only gets the first down, but gets a ton of yards. So that like- was Romo's best moment, by the way, of the broadcast. Maybe his only good moment of the broadcast. Before the play, he said, how the Chiefs are lined up, you're susceptible for him to take it to the house. Yeah. And, and like he, he, he almost was, did. And, and, he, and he almost did. That, so, that, was his, that was his only good uh, moment of the broadcast. Like you said with Detroit, hey, they've done this all year. They're going to try to win with it all year uh, with the fourth down calls, the aggressive play calling in those situations. What's supposed to happen now, we see it with Mahomes. We see it with Allen. We saw it with Jackson a lot last week. Okay, we're in the playoffs now. There's no tomorrow. His best weapon is still that he is the best dual threat quarterback we have ever seen. Yep. The best one. Yep. I felt like for much of that game, he was trying and they were trying to win the game with him in the pocket. Like even plays would it no one was getting open, it take forever, and he would sit there and still look and look and look. And it's like, dude, run. That's what you're great at. Eight rushing attempts in their last game? Against 37 passing attempts. I mean, that's dude, that's terrible. Terrible. And I and I and I don't and I don't think it's all on the coaches. I think he made a lot of decisions to to just to throw the ball and look for someone to throw to instead of running it. Yeah, well, I mean, I we we call them tuck and runs on the show, like for for fields, like called pass plays. But then when he improvises out, it's tough. Like you can't when you when you look at his when you're grading a play caller, you've got to be careful. I'm like, okay, those were pass attempts that then became runs, you know, or or in this case. These, those were pass attempts or RPOs that Lamar made decisions on, on pass over run. And that was just, it was way out of bounds. Now I understand that like, they honestly, and it was 17-10. They had two turnovers in the end zone. Flowers fumbles into the end zone. Lamar throws the horrifying pick. 
into the end zone. There was nothing about the game script of that game that suggested they needed to abandon the running game. It felt like they were down more than they were. Like the whole game, it felt like they were down more than they were. Because the Chiefs defense, by the way, which we haven't given enough credit to, I mean, I don't know that they're better than Baltimore just based on the body of work and DVOA and the advanced metrics. But they were dominant today. Well, they didn't have Gay either, which makes the decision to not run Lamar not Jackson run look Lamar, even yeah. worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chris Jones is an absolute monster. Sneed is going to like, – Jalen Johnson, my guy, wants to be the top-paid corner on the market. He's younger than Sneed, so maybe he will be. But Sneed is an absolute stud. He's going to get like, – Brett Veach has a very interesting decision on his hands on which one of those two – stud defensive players he's going to pay as Mahomes cap hit explodes next year. I don't think he'll be able to keep both of them. My guess is he goes with the younger player at corner and tries to figure out a way to replace Chris Jones on the line. Do you agree with me that Nance and Romo are just not a good pair? And I feel like those guys separate from one another, I do think that Romo could be salvaged and saved because I still hear he needs coaching. Well, but here's the thing. I think they look at him like McAfee, where it's like, don't coach him. They want him to be Barkley. They want just whatever pops into the guy's head, say it. They don't want to reel him in. The problem they, is it's what he says isn't funny or interesting like Barkley. It's a big problem. Well, but he's still, as you pointed out, sometimes in the moment, his observations, I think sometimes is, to be honest with you, I think like offensive game management decisions, I think he points those out better than 99% of color commentators. Okay, don't call a timeout here. Go to the line of scrimmage and run a play or spike it. Or like those things, I think he's still great at. And there's a lot of value in that from a from a color commentator. He's, yeah, I, listen, I agree. He, he sees the game well. The problem is communicating it is the key for the broadcaster. And too many times he's doing mumbo jumbo Stuff and, just comes out of his mouth, and I don't even think he realizes what he, what he actually said until it's yeah. two minutes later. And it, Jim, 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 I don't know, Jim, Jim. Like, dude, take a stance. Give me an opinion. Let it breathe. He, It's just, I, he's not good. And well, I, I, I got to be honest with you. I didn't think, and I love Olsen. I didn't think Olsen did a great job with that, with those Lions decisions. I thought there was a lot of equivocating from both of those guys. In those spots. But yeah, because he, he basically just said, don't second guess, was like his conclusion. What is yeah. that? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want that take either. Yeah, no, I, don't I think agree. But, but I, I do think that Olsen, for the most part, has shown to be very smart and, most importantly, prepared. Romo, it feels like he was the flavor of the month. He was. I don't think they the want month. Romo prepared. I think they're telling him paralysis by analysis is going to make it even worse. Well... Well, they're going to get what they asked for because he got a 10-year, $180 million deal. Well, I think, and they'll never do this, I think he would do better with Ian Eagle. I think Eagle has the personality to play off of his goofiness better. Yeah, I think, I think, I think Romo and Nance enjoy golfing and wine and each other's company. I just, I, I think Nance loves him. That, that will never happen. It will never, ever, ever happen. What's going to be interesting is what happens to Olsen if Brady, and the reports are that he's serious about it, that he's 
going out to the Fox studios that he took Aaron Andrews out for like a three hour dinner to ask her questions about, I actually added the three hour part, but there was a part about him and Aaron Andrews going out for a meal. And he was like asking her broadcasting questions. And like, he's apparently preparing to call games next year. I don't know. Shouldn't no disrespect to Aaron Andrews. I think she does a fantastic job, but like, shouldn't he be taking Troy Aikman or someone who's actually done? Troy Aikman was in it too. Out? Okay. Apparently, apparently Aikman is like giving him pointers. Like he, he's apparently, it was a Mike McCarthy story. He's apparently preparing to call games next year. So Greg Olson, where does he go? Because he's absolutely a number one analyst based on the current standard of today's analysts. So if Brady's getting all that money and they won't put him in the studio, it'll be Burkhardt and Brady. Do you get rid of Collinsworth at NBC? No. Do you get rid of Aikman at ESPN? No, no chance. And Romo at CBS is the obvious candidate, but he signed a massive – dude, he gets $18 million a year. He basically gets a million a game, and he even gets a game or two off during the season. So I think Greg Olson, maybe Amazon says, you know what, Herb Street, you don't need to do both. And he goes to Thursday night football. That's your answer. I think that's the answer right there. I think that, I think what, in in my opinion, what should happen, I think Al Michaels has one year left on his deal with Amazon. I think you have, I think you don't force a new partner on Michaels for his last year. You let Michaels and Herb Street do the last year together and then the next year at Amazon. Olsen does the number two game. You blow Daryl Johnson out of there. My God, that guy's been doing that for like 40 years. Or you move him down to the C or D game. Who cares? He'll probably do that anyways. He, I don't think he'd quit over that. And you have Greg Olson do the second game on Fox for a year. And then Amazon has a fresh new uh, team for the following season is what I would do. Yeah. He feels like he deserves better than that though. Like I, I want Greg Olson in the Super Bowl rotation, but Well, then you get him. I mean, can you get him into the Peacock playoff game? And can you get him on those things too? I mean, I don't know how that would work, but yeah, he's grown on me. I thought he had a really good season. I'm a fan of his. All right. You want to do a quick, have you seen the Super Bowl line and what's happened to it so far? I have not. I'm totally blind on this. I'm not lying to you. Um, I would guess that 49ers opened as a two and a half point favorite and the lines already come back close to even. Yeah, you're on it. Uh, open two and a half. They're now one and a half minus one ten. money line moved significantly. Niners open minus one fifty, and they are now uh, minus one fifteen. Mahomes is going to be an underdog three games in a row. Holy F dude. Yep. Well, th- just a quick thought on this. And this happened to me today. And I fell victim to this with both of my picks. What happened here is that the odds makers have their power ratings, they have their power ranking systems, they have their numbers, and the numbers have said all year that the 49ers and Ravens are the two best teams, okay? But especially with San Francisco, if you've watched them for the last month, they haven't looked like that. Correct. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I mean, they're an over team all of a sudden because their defense is is right. Right, so... So this spread is going to be based on that. But if you've had eyes and you've watched the last, if you've watched the playoffs, if you started watching the NFL with the playoffs, you would not understand the line for the Super Bowl. 
<laughs> it would make no sense to you. Yes, 100%. You would think Kansas City would be a three-point favorite, maybe more. And then when you actually factor in those of us that have watched Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy. I mean, you're going to hear about for two weeks. I'll, I'll just give you the I'll give you the betting narrative for two weeks. You're going to hear for two weeks that everybody is on the Chiefs. Every, every uh, common, every casual, novice, amateur better is on the Chiefs. And every quote-unquote sharp better has the 49ers. That's what you're going to hear for two weeks. The Chad Millmans of the world. What it was for Chiefs Ravens. The Chad Millmans of the world are going to say all the smart, wise guys are betting the 49ers. But you look at like the breakdown of bets, and it's going to be a massive amount of betting on the Chiefs. Which is what, dude, Circa hung five today. Chiefs plus five is where it got today. They had to get murdered. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it was a good day for the sports books. I don't know that I don't know that for sure, but Lions covering and Chiefs winning, they were two public underdogs. I know that there was a lot of liability on Ravens futures. So like some of the future stuff helped them out a lot. Um but and maybe some liability on Lions futures, I would think too. But also think about this now. The two favorites from the preseason are in the Super Bowl, right? Weren't these the betting favorites in the AFC and NFC before the season started? Yep. Dude, how often does that happen? With how unpredictable the NFL is year to year? Yeah. This has got to be one of the first times, and I'd have to go like every year and really think about that. But off the top of my head, I, I'm yeah, trying to the, think. Because the, the Niners were a favorite over the Eagles. You're right. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Um. Yeah. I, yeah, these, these were one and two. The Bucs weren't the favorite to win the NFC the year that they met the Chiefs in the COVID Super Bowl. They were a few down, even though they had Brady. I mean, it's the Rams weren't against the Patriots. The Eagles definitely weren't that year with Wentz and then Foles. I mean, you got to, the Falcons weren't in 16. I mean, you've really got to go back in time to find a matchup between two teams that came in as heavy favorites. So, well, all right. So we are going to do two a week through the Super Bowl. Yep. And so we'll uh, we won't do full Super Bowl. And I think our bosses like us so much they're talking about three a week after the Super Bowl. I don't know if you got that email. Uh, no, I didn't. You have not? No, I didn't. I'll forward you know, that to you then. Yeah, forward that to me. You know, if our bosses like us so much, we should go to Vegas for this Super Bowl. Don't you think? If our friend Nick Wright likes it so much, maybe he should fly us to the Super Bowl and have us do first and pod on location. That's a good idea. I know he's made enough gambling on the Chiefs these last two weeks. Come on, Nick. Bring first and pod with you. We could be on site. He really, he really, it like, I know he's getting enjoyment out of it, but the clips I've seen, he looks almost manic. Like, I think if you showed those clips to somebody in the mental health field, (laughs) they would have some concerns. You know what I mean? It doesn't look... It doesn't look like he's like wired properly in that setting for those three hours. He becomes a crazy person. Yeah, dude, we all do crazy things for sports and gambling. You wear Kenny Pickett jerseys. Do you do you pace around your house screaming at your television <laughs> for three hours? Do you do that? I okay. don't. But I don't. But my football team hasn't been in a big game in. You think that's normal behavior for I... for a, for someone who's close to forty? <laughs> I don't. 
Define normal, Pony. I see people break their televisions with Those, th- That's a work. That's for Twitter and Instagram. I know. Numbers. It's all planned out. Don't even compare what's going on with Nick to that. You don't think any of that's for work? Him? Just, no, I think that's authentic Nick. He just happens to be being filmed? Yeah, you don't think so? No, I mean, I do. You think it's a Bayless thing? Throwing his jersey in the trash can? You think it's <laughs> No, I did. I would never say that. I would never say that. I'm just saying we happen to see the footage. We happen to see the footage. All right, man. All right, I'll uh, I'll talk to you on Thursday. Thank cool. you, Spencer Ray, our producer. First and pod. Tell a friend. Peace.